0: We are back for another episode of under the number this week with USC quarterback, Miller Moss, Miller. Thanks for jumping on.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So anyone who's followed USC football, particularly this past season and seasons prior to the spotlights all been on Caleb Williams, Heisman winner, future projected number one overall pick guys, absolute animal and not to mention with NIL and everything that's changed in the college football landscape. You can hardly watch a game without seeing him in a Dr. Pepper commercial or a Nissan Heisman House commercial at this point. However, Miller Moss exploded onto the scene a little less than two months ago in the Holiday Bowl, where in his first start since 2019, he threw for 372 yards and six touchdowns. I'd like to start there. Tell us a little bit about that game and what some of the emotions were that came with that. Yeah, I mean, you
1: talk about the emotions of that game um, and really just the timeline. Like, hearing that really puts it in perspective. Just like not starting a game since 2019 just because, like, obviously I didn't play in 2020 with COVID and then went into college and didn't have the opportunity to start until that game. So, um, I think, I mean, I'll, first of all, I was just really proud of the team and what we were able to accomplish in finishing the year off the right way. Um, and I think for me personally, it was just the culmination of a lot of work and it was good to to see that work come to fruition in a positive way. So I was happy about it. Um, It was a good first step, but obviously a lot
0: more to accomplish down the road this season and then after that as well. I mean, that's such a massive, massive victory performance for your team. Had to obviously inspire confidence in yourself, but in those around you too. USC had finished, you know, it was a disappointing season compared to where expectations were. I think that going into that game... Finished the team had finished something like one in six, yeah. One in yeah, one in five. I mean, that's not the type of uh, I'm sure many people expected the team to come out flat or kind of mail it in. So, to have such, a, such an explosive performance like that had to kind of do wonders for, at the very least, team morale.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think obviously, I mean, we start off the season six and oh, and then finish one and five in the last six games, which were granted were. Games against quality, quality opponents, but regardless of the opponent, like you don't, you never expect at a place like USC to to finish the season that way. And that's, that's not the standard, and that's not what we expect either. So um, I think something that was unique about that game is there's obviously the window between the last game of the season and when you play the bowl game. So, like, mm-hmm. that point in time is really, really important for that team coming together, and it's really decisive in how that team was going to go into that game. Um, and one thing that was unique was that it kind of served as a weeding out process. So guys that were about the team, guys that wanted the best for the team, that wanted to take advantage of the opportunity for themselves, stayed and gave everything they had to the team and guys that felt like that wasn't the best decision for themselves left. So it wasn't a situation where we were going into a game with a team divided. We are going into the game with a team that was completely together, completely together and focused on the goal of winning. So I think that was something that was somewhat overlooked in the preparation, just like from the outside, but on the inside, we
0: had kind of a quiet confidence. That makes total sense. And a lot of people, anyone who's played football, whether it's at a youth level or college or even pro, I mean, I think that it tends to be a common theme that you're nervous, 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 and that first hit or first play happens. And then you're just in the game. However, like we've said, having not started a game since being in high school since being a junior in high school in 2019, how was that, those jitters and and actually being like, okay, it's time to go here. This is game time. Yeah. I mean, I think each year, like the, the two years prior of my college
1: career, like I played increasingly more. And so like, I had, not that I was 100% like comfortable and had no jitters whatsoever, but like, Mm -hmm. I also like, I mean, you gain a ton of confidence from the preparation and your work and practice and stuff like that. So there was no part of me that was going to that like, oh, I wonder if I can do this. It was just like, it's time to do your job at a high level and show the world what you can do and do what you do every day. It wasn't like, oh, I need to be anything more than I am in this moment. I think the biggest thing for me was just having that mental maturity to be like, OK, this is who you are. This is what you can do. And don't let any moment be too big for that. So I think, like, at a very basic level, just be who you are and let everything take care of itself. And I think, like, I was very lucky to have Cliff Kingsbury and Lincoln Riley there guiding me through that process of having your first start. Um, obviously, their resume speaks for itself when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, and then, obviously, great teammates around me, which I'm super grateful for as well. So.
0: Well, yeah, as we mentioned with the statistics and obviously getting the win over number 15, Louisville, a good team a lot of people had picked to beat you. Uh, yeah. Ridley rose to the occasion. Um, after that game, there were some clear signs of emotion, and there was a good shot of you getting a nice congratulations from Caleb Williams. Seems like you guys have a pretty great relationship.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, especially like now in this environment, like people are always trying to pit quarterbacks against each other, especially when they're in the same room. And like, I mean, Caleb would be the first to tell you, like, obviously, I hated sitting behind him. Like, it, it's so, like, for lack of a better word, it sucked, like, mm-hmm. preparing all week and then just going out there and standing there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, like, he's a phenomenal player and a phenomenal human being, and I learned a ton from playing behind him and competing with him each and every day for two years. So that was a really, really unique experience and shaped who I am today. And while it was difficult during that period of time, it taught me a lot and I think molded my career for the better in the long run.
0: Yeah. And I want to come back to basically this current timeline um, later. However, I also want to talk to you about your recruiting process prior to SC, some yeah. of your training back in the day. Part of yeah. how, I mean, I first came across Miller Moss was at Steve Clarkson workouts 10, 12 years ago now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I was 14 or 15 out there. Miller, you were like eight nine going out. <laughs> uh, we talked about you on my interview with, um, on my episode with Brady White. Like everyone knew yeah. Miller Moss at those events. <laughs> You're this yeah. little guy with like long, curly, blonde hair. some yeah. really swaggy cleats generally. <laughs> kind of like a chip on your shoulder as this little, you know, third grader being like, I know I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not huge yet, but it was kind of like, just Wait. You guys will see. <laughs> I mean, talk a little bit about those early days because truly it was a sign of commitment that you were eight, eight, nine, ten 10 years old going up to Cathedral High School in LA yeah. every Sunday. Like you were a, you were a fixture there. You were consistently putting in that work in elementary school, working with you know, the best quarterback coaches in the country.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think like, in large part I attribute that to my parents. I was really lucky to have parents that said, We'll support you in whatever you choose to do. And that didn't have to be football. Like I played basketball super seriously. Like I was very into art. I played chess. Like I was in robotics for a short period of time. So like I was very lucky to have parents that supported me in whatever I was interested in. So when I kinda of gravitated towards playing quarterback, we sat down and said, Like, okay, who's going to help you be your best self as a quarterback and at that time that was steve and me and steve still have a great relationship and, and talk from time to time but um i think my parents were giving me that opportunity was or the opportunity to chase what i was passionate about was invaluable and i'll always be super grateful to them for for giving that opportunity giving me that opportunity and paving the way for me to chase what i was passionate about um so yeah i think that's that's largely attributed to them and i think through that process, I had to learn that there was sacrifice, you know, like, you can't go sleep over at your buddy's house when you have to go to cathedral on Sunday. So like, I think from a very early age, I had an understanding, that like, if you want to be unique, and if you want to be special in certain areas, there are
0: things that you have to give up. And I think that was an important lesson to learn as a young kid. Absolutely. So it was so funny to me, because as I mentioned, I remembered you as this, the youngest guy by a mile, always yeah. at the events. And then I go on. I'm playing high school football. I go to college, and well into you know, well into my college career, I remember my dad telling me, "Remember Miller Moss? He's now six two, you know, <laughs> pushing two hundred pounds. He's a four-star recruit at Allemane." I was like, "What?" I mean, not not that I was shocked from an ability thing, but I was like, "I thought this guy was." I pictured I still pictured you as this little kid. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When, when did you hit your growth spurt? Honestly, that's one part of the question.
1: Like seventh through
0: ninth grade. I, I grew a lot. I think I
1: was like maybe five, two or five, three in seventh grade. And then like going into high school, I was probably five ten, 175 pounds. And then by my sophomore year, I was probably six to 95 pounds. And that's, that's kind of like where my, my body is like taking shape from there. But it was like, it was like a crazy, like three or four year span where like, I would have to get new shoes every like two months or something because like, no. it just wouldn't fit. But I, I lost my jump shot from that because like, I wasn't playing basketball as much and like your body's changing so much and you're lifting weights and stuff. And obviously like I'm throwing super consistently in this time. So like, I didn't lose that, but like, I, I definitely lost my jumper over that period of time, which is unfortunate, but it'll come back
0: it's tough to not be a little awkward and clunky when you're growing 10 inches in a year or a foot in a yeah. year too. Yeah. Well, to all five, two, seventh graders out there listening. There's still hope. Don't, For sure. don't worry too much. Um, so you ended up playing high school and you started your high school career at Loyola in yes. LA before transferring to Alamany. Both yes. of those schools play very high caliber high school football. Definitely. Uh, talk about what went into that transfer and talk about, um, just your time at Alamany and obviously your breakout year was really your, your junior year through for 3000 yards and 28 touchdowns, um, against some great competition. So talk about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Loyola gave, gave me an opportunity to go to school with a lot of kids I grew up with, which I was excited about. It was great academically. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to get on the field early, which I was excited about and I appreciated. Um, for a multitude of reasons, it didn't work out on the football side, which is fine. I learned a lot from that year. I struggled somewhat in, in those games, um, and I think it was good for me to go through that process. I think I learned a lot, um, and it helped me later on in my career for sure. But ended up going to, going to Alameda really because of Casey and Rick Clawson. They had made the move from Calabasas to Alameda. I ended up having a meeting with them and walking out of that meeting and just saying to my parents, like, this is too good, too unique of an opportunity to play for these guys to turn down. So that's really what went into the decision of going to Alamini. Um, just cause like, I, I'd, I'd never, I'd never even like been over, um, like been over the, the mountain on the four Oh five and down in the, like I had spent very little time in the Valley, mm-hmm. but, um, I got acquainted very quickly and had a had a really, really awesome time there. And it was, was kind of everything I hoped for. Learning from the Clausons really prepared me for college. So I was just super grateful for them and what they've done for me in my career.
0: Clawson's turned around that Calabasas program prior to Almany. I mean, they were, Calabasas had been 0 and 10, basically, or 1 and 9. And a few years they had these teams with like guys like uh, Tristan Jebia. Yeah. And- Darnay Holmes all of a sudden was there. Keyshawn Johnson Jr., they got the right kids in the right place and turned them into a power. It was kind of amazing how quickly they did that, so I can definitely see the intrigue. No, definitely. Yeah. How far was your commute?
1: So I was going against traffic, so I'm coming from, like, West L.A. The thing that – it was probably 25 minutes in the morning, probably, like, 30, 40 minutes um, in the afternoons after practice, but the thing I felt terrible about was, like, On Fridays at 5 o'clock, my parents had to drive two hours on the 405 to get to the Valley, which was unfortunate, but um, they were troopers about it, and I appreciated it. They were at every
0: game, so that always felt good to to look up in the stands and see them. That's commitment. Common theme among everyone I talk to is a lot of parents. uh, Parent sacrifice, for sure. Yeah. Um, So The breakout year really is your junior year. I don't know Did you have an offer prior to that season or who was your first offer?
1: Yes. My first offer was spring of my freshman year. Um, It was San Jose state. And then I ended up getting offered by Yale as well. So going into my sophomore year, I had two scholarship offers, which I was like, I was proud of, but there were, there were definitely other guys in California and across the country that had picked up more, had picked up offers from bigger power five schools and, and it bothered me for sure. And then after my, my sophomore year, I ended up in the spring, following my or in the spring preceding my junior year. So going into my junior year, I ended up picking up, um, LSU and then Auburn and then it kind of just snowballed from there. So like Michigan offered, and then I ended up picking up the Bama's and Georgia's of the world. Um, which was, which was awesome. It was a good experience. Um, and it felt like I I had seen guys who I felt like I could play with and like I'm not gonna say that I was better than but like I was like, yeah, I can I can do that, I can play on that level. So it was gratifying to see that kind of come to fruition and, and those thoughts be validated. So that was a cool process definitely.
0: Yeah, and at the end of the day, you had plenty of major offers. Michigan, L S U, Bama, Miami. Yeah. I mean you kind of had your pick of the litter. Um, Tell me a little bit about the recruiting process. Who did you go and visit? What were some of your best tales from the recruiting road? Because yeah, it goes into that.
1: Um, so early on, I would say that like that spring after my sophomore season, going into my junior year, um, I had taken a Midwest trip. I did Michigan, Ohio State, and Wisconsin, and I loved Michigan. I loved Coach Harbaugh. Um, and they were down to two guys. It was, it was me and me and JJ. And they were just like, whoever commits first is who we're taking. And at the time I'm 15 years old and I'm like, okay, well I haven't gone and done my sec trip yet. So I wanted to do that. And I wanted to obviously look locally more as well. And like, you know how Stanford is, they take forever in their offer process. So me and Tavita were talking a lot, but like I didn't have a scholarship from there. Um, so there was more I wanted to play out in my recruiting process beyond like coach Harbaugh's timeline and JJ ended up committing and like, it is what it is. Like I, I still have a ton of love for coach Harbaugh. And at the time it was Josh Gaddis was the offensive coordinator. Um, and those guys were great. I had a great relationship with them, but kind of once that door had closed, I play, I wanted to play out my junior season and see kind of what, what happened from there. Um, and at the end of the day, it really can't. I mean, LSU and UCLA were in there, but it really came down to, to USC and Bama. So that's – I mean, those are
0: two very different programs. You're either yeah. staying in your, in your neighborhood or you're going to Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Not terribly different offenses, but not the same offense. No. Crazy, crazy difference in fan base. I mean, it's, it's – these are not, uh, not two – these are not two programs that have a lot in common. I wouldn't say other than obviously both having storied histories and being powers. Um, right. What were the factors that you were considering when comparing Bama and USC? Yeah. I mean, I, I always like USC always
1: had kind of like a place in, in my heart, like just from growing up, there was no pro team in LA. So there was no Rams, there was no chargers. So my team growing up was the Lakers and it was USC football. And so I, it always kind of had had a place for me, but I also wanted to make sure I wasn't basing my decision off the emotions of an eight-year-old kid who was a fan of a school. So yeah, what what at SC was really the, like SC offered every single thing I was looking for in a university, which is the ability to play at the highest level, an excellent education, like great location, and ability to have like true friendships throughout college, which is important to me. Like relationships wherever I am are very important to me. Alabama. It was really like Coach shaven put it probably like Alabama. Every team is trying to climb the mountain of college football, and Alabama was the mountain. Mm-hmm. And like, when it, when you're sitting in Coach shaven's office and he says that to you, it's hard for that, especially as a young kid like you're 16, 17 years old. It's hard for that to not have an impact. And I think that coupled with my relationship with Coach Sark, who obviously ended up taking the Texas job, so might have been for the best. Uh, get there. <laughs> um, but I had a I had a ton of respect for Coach Saber and I think like throughout that process I really came to understand why he was who he was and how like successful he was. It made complete sense in speaking to him. And then like Coach Sark at the end of the day is a California guy. You know, his kid went to Modern Day. So we we connected on that level. And obviously like, he's a super intellectual guy when it comes to the game. And we, we would watch cutups together. We'd watch those together. And like, we had an excellent relationship as well. So those are two, those are really two, the big thing. Those
0: two were really the big things that, that drew me out Alabama. And what about, I know they didn't make it to your top two, but what about LSU with Kojo? You got to have some, some conversations there that stand out. Kojo
1: was awesome, man.
0: He just, he wanted to talk about food a lot. Like I remember <laughs> I'd be driving
1: down like the 405 and you're like, yeah, I you're right in his coach O voice. like, Yeah, you're driving by my favorite in and out. But <laughs> um, he was awesome though. He was a, he was a great. We'd always FaceTime and he'd, like flip the camera. And be like that's Tiger Stadium right there. Like you're gonna be throwing touchdowns and like <laughs> um, he was a great dude. Obviously, like they our relationship really started around that Joe Burrow or going into and then around that Joe Burrow national championship year. So. Yeah. That was a, there was a ton of, ton of excitement around that program at the time. And, and I, I had great relationships there. It was Coach Enzinger, was the the OC and quarterback coach at the time. Joe Brady had taken the NFL job. I forget which one, but, um, but those guys were awesome. I I love Coach O. Um, uh, My official visit there ended up being canceled because of COVID. So that probably impacted that relationship a little bit. But, um, those are great guys. I always have love for those guys in that program. Were there other officials that you were able to take? No, I didn't take any. So I had the opportunity to visit PAM, ISC and UCLA unofficially, Mm -hmm. but I had three officials scheduled for the first three weeks of April, 2020, all of which were canceled. Yeah. And then obviously I enrolled early in the following year at SC. So I never ended up taking like true official visits.
0: Yeah. So it talks about obviously your junior year was fantastic. I'm looking at your Under Armour All-America. All American jersey oh, yeah. behind you. Oh, that's, a, that's a sign of a good high school career. Yeah. but what happened with COVID is you actually decided to, or did you decide to forego your senior year, or was the season canceled? And no, I didn't. I didn't forego
1: it. I just it was. We didn't play in the fall in California, didn't so I,
0: I was just training and then went to USC in January as an early enrollee. What's it like being an early enrollee? Because I can only imagine that being 17, maybe 18 years old, and all of a sudden, this isn't, even though Al a great program, this is USC. Like, it had to feel pretty surreal at times on that first semester. Absolutely. I mean, I think,
1: I mean, you walk in the locker room and there's guys that I looked up to in high school. I mean, the Brew McCoys of the world, and Drake London was on that team. Um, Drake Jackson was on that team. There was a ton of, a ton of guys I looked up to throughout my high school career in that locker room. So that was kind of a a surreal experience at first. Um, And then it's, it's, there's so much more besides the football in the locker room stuff. Like you're, you're living on your own for the first time and you really have to understand how to, how to navigate that. And like, you got to do your laundry and take the trash out. And like, there's all these different things. And like, that you have to get accustomed to. So it was without a doubt, like a huge learning curve, but I'm really happy. I did it in the spring because I wouldn't have wanted to then have that learning curve in the summer, because then when the rest of your freshman class comes in in the summer, not that you're a veteran at that point, but like, you've gone through all the little things and worked out like your routine, like your process, where's the facility? How do I find my classes? Like all that kind of stuff. Like, and you don't have to do that coming into the summer and then the fall when um, when everyone's back at
0: school. And so when you got there, it was still the Clay Helton era. But yes. as we talked about on campus, you very quickly cycled through three head coaches. Yes. Talk about that. Yeah, so um,
1: first game of the year we played San Jose State. We played okay. I think it was a one-score game in the fourth quarter. And that's when I was kind of like, hmm. Like this this doesn't seem right. Um and then we ended up we ended up pulling away in the fourth quarter, I think, one by, by double digits at home. And then we played Stanford at home the next week and David Shaw always like even at the end, like I feel like he always brought his his he always put his best foot forward when he played against S C and they smoked us at home. I think it was like forty two fourteen at some point. I think like was maybe scored a couple of garbage time touchdowns, but they killed us. And then we came in to our team meeting on Monday and I'll never forget. Coach Hilton addressed the team, told everyone back straight, sit up and let us know that, um, Mike Bowen, our athletic director at the time was going in a different direction with the head coach of the team. Um, and Dante Williams was appointed as the interim head coach. Um, he was he was our defensive backs coach, but was also like associate head coach. So I think that's like sequentially how that worked. Mm-hmm. And Dante was a coach for the remainder of the season, which was an up and down season. Obviously, like that wasn't an easy position for him to be put in. Um, and then Coach Riley ended up being announced, I think it, it was late November, early December of that year. So
0: within a three, four month span, we had three different head coaches. So when that first, you know, the Clay Helton meeting, and then you got your interim guy at the helm, I feel like you must have been having some thoughts of, wait, I decided to come here, and there's this type of this lack of stability when I could have gone to the model of stability with Saban and Bama. Like maybe this wasn't the call. I don't know. Did you have any second guessing, uh, second guesses at that point? Yes and no. I mean, I had um
1: I had a very interesting up and down freshman year experience with my support at the time um and just how things were running that program as a whole based on like what was, the values I was recruited upon and then how it unfolded when I was there so
0: um, what do you what do you mean by that break break that down a little bit
1: yeah I mean like you're you're recruited on certain principles like certain things are important to every recruit. And for me, like the biggest thing, I mean, one of the biggest things for me was like playing for a coach that I had a true relationship with and could have open dialogue with, and then like having a, a fair opportunity to compete. And those were things that were said during the recruiting process. And I don't know if that's necessarily how it unfolded. Um I'll just leave it at that for now, but um But yeah, I mean, during those times before that staff ended up getting fired, I absolutely had second thoughts about my decision. Um, And I felt like in a lot of ways I had been lied to by people that I trusted as a young kid throughout the recruiting process. So that was difficult to kind of grapple with. But I don't think I ever lost faith in myself and my ability to, at the end of the day, make it through whatever tumultuous times or adversity was going on with the program. Um, and then, obviously, Coach Riley came in um, and brought Caleb with him, which, I mean, made sense for him at the time. Like, I can't, I can't knock Coach Riley for doing that. Um, mm-hmm. But I had a very, very positive relationship with Coach Riley, and it was honestly refreshing him coming in and, like, being able to have that kind of dialogue with the coach and work with someone who truly knew how to coach the quarterback position. So, from the bat, like it was just such a completely different experience. And I was so grateful for that, that it didn't give me like, oh, like I should leave. Like, I was like, no, I'm being developed by one of the best quarterback coaches there is. And he's so much better than what was here that like, I want to see this through.
0: That definitely makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that was major headlines between coach Riley's, individual contracts, the fact that he was going to bring all the Oklahoma guys with him. It was like, this is a new era of USC football. We are watching it unfold. I'm always curious when Caleb Williams is one example, there were more people too. And there have been many instances of this, but when a whole squad or a group of players just show up one day with the new coach, they know coach from their old program, but they don't know anyone in the new program or how, the USC program runs or the, you know, the traditions and the values of that team, how does that mesh happen? There must be, you know, occasional standoffs and things like that, but I really just wonder how does a group like that integrate when there's no time to waste, you kind of got to show up and get to work.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's a good point to bring up, but I think it's the biggest thing that teams struggle with this in this, Environment is like you have. Yes, you may bring a ton of talents and people together, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is how they're able to come together and work towards a common goal. Because if you can't do that, and you're just a bunch of individuals, when something goes wrong, your team will inevitably fold. Um, and I think a big reason for our success at first year with Coach Riley is one, he had an appreciation for the tradition of USC and what this school, this school and program means to college football as a whole, and he. Did an excellent job of communicating that. I think another thing he really emphasized was this is one of the most unique rosters in the history of college football, which at that time was correct. Just the overhaul, people leaving, people coming in. So, what was emphasized to us since January was the success of this team is entirely contingent upon our ability to come together. So, when you hear that each and every day, like there's an extra emphasis to do so. And I think that
0: was a big reason we had the, su- the success that we had. And you, you said the success of the team was contingent upon the team's ability to come together. I feel like there's probably never been a more difficult era in college football for college yeah. kids to come yeah. together. Like, as you were alluding to with people showing up at the portal, add in NIL, and all of a sudden you've got teammates doing commercials and getting paid a bunch of money. And, yeah. I mean, I, as someone who was in a college football locker room for Seven years ago now, um, I really wonder what the dynamics are like when the guy in the locker room next to you could be getting paid literally millions of dollars yeah. while you're the guy who's just a slot behind him on the depth chart or isn't as marketable or whatever the situation may be. And you're still walking to class and eating at the cafeteria. Like, how, how does that, how does that play out in the locker room?
1: I mean, it's difficult, you know, because like this thing is so public and there's so many eyes on it that you can't, you can't hide the truth at some point. And the problem is like a lot of stuff you're hearing isn't the truth. So like, <laughs> like there's so much wild stuff flying around and you don't really know what to believe. So I think the biggest thing is just to lean on the relationships with the people and not not try to be like, oh, he's making this much. Like, I, I'm entitled to this. And I think the worst part about it is when guys have friends at other schools because, mm-hmm. like, certain schools have more money than than other schools. And that's just the reality of it. And, like, the problem is there's no, like, salary regulation on college football players. So if a school has access to more funds than another school, those guys are going to get paid more, even if you're more valuable to your team than your buddy who's third string on the depth chart making hundred grand like and it just is what it is so like there's gonna have to be some regulation on it i think for now like the biggest thing is just like i said to continually like continue to invest in the relationships you have in that locker room and lean on that as opposed to saying oh how much does this guy make how much does this guy make and like really stay away from like being like oh this guy bought this chain this guy bought this car this guy lives in this penthouse downtown like it's not about that at the end of the day. It's about coming together as to a team and winning games. And I think as long as we can make that the main thing, all the other stuff can kind of fall to the side and will end up being successful. But I think that's that's a, that's definitely a hurdle that you have to tackle now in college football that didn't necessarily exist before. Because before everyone's shoot, everyone's living off the stipend check they get every month and paying thousand bucks a month for rent. You know, like that's just that's just what it was. And that landscape has obviously changed.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine with the friends talking to friends at different schools, like you mentioned, I mean, take Oregon. Not every school has Phil Knight backing, you know, not not, not every school has those types of cash infusions coming to be, you know, distributed into the program and make tons of kids on the roster, uh, roster B, you know, making significant money. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you saw – so you you are someone who has basically been on both sides. Of, I mean, the portal thing, there are obviously rumblings and things were happening when you first got to school. Right. Um, but now, I mean, KJ Costello was talking about it on the first episode of this show. He's like, "With well, the portal today, you could show up on a campus and one day you decide you don't like the way the place smells and you can be on another campus the next day. How – How much do coaches talk about that and acknowledge that reality with the team? Like, is that something that, you know, team has a bad practice, guys are showing some attitude, and they're like, hey, if you want out, get the hell out of here. Because that's something that you actually could say, and that was not the case just a handful of years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think KJ, like, makes a kind of funny and good point, but also, like, who you are in the world of college football still matters. Like if you're, act, if you're conducting yourself in that way, like people are going to see it for what it is. Like this guy is not a high character guy that we want on our team to go win games. So I think like, who like, yes, it is kind of a free for all, but like at the end of the day, like who you are and what you stand for and what your actions represent still matter a great deal. Yeah, um, in terms of coaches talking about the portal, I would say like, Coach Riley has never said anything like that to a kid. And I think he would never say anything like that to a kid because that's just not who he is at the end of the day. Um, It's an unfortunate reality that we've dealt with, certainly on our team, where it's hard to tell a kid, like, you're not a true number one receiver. And, like, those are difficult conversations to have. But I think when certain kids have all these extra voices in their head saying, like, you should have X amount of catches, you should have X amount of yards, like, you should be starting at this position, like, those voices can then be put into action through the portal, which was, it was an avenue that didn't exist before. So I don't think it's so much from the coaches, but I think it's the the voices that influence the players now are actionable because of the portal. So it's like, okay, like, I'm not the leading receiver on the team, and my uncle and aunt and cousin think I should be, well, I'm going to go on the portal. Mm-hmm. And like that was, that was access that players or that was action that players didn't have access to before. So I think that's really where it's changed.
0: Yeah. And you talked about the, you know, eventually there will, there will be more regulation in this area. It's just, a, it's a guarantee. And right now yeah. it, it really just feels like kind of the wild west. And when I look Definitely. at it as a fan, I'm like, I just hope that kids, the players are getting some sort of advice, not making really stupid decisions with this newfound money. I mean, is there, are there kind of support systems in place where when you get an NIL deal, USC, the program, the athletic department has mentors or people who are like, Hey, just so you know, I know you've, you just went from a kid with 500 bucks in his bank account to you just got a whatever six figure deal with this group. This is what you do. Don't spend all of it on a car or on, chains like you said literally um, how how do they actually mentor people and try to keep kids on the right path if there's any safeguards like that in place at all
1: yeah i mean i think
0: they try their best
1: but it's not enough with everything kind of flying around and i think like a lot of guys rely on outside connections to, to handle that kind of stuff and a lot of times like it's not enough you know and i think the biggest area that comes up in is taxes like you have, like at, at 19 you don't want to file your taxes like i certainly didn't my first year doing it like i, I had to go to my dad and be like, hey how do i do this um and like i think i'm sure it happens all across the country where like kids will just be like hey, like i don't i don't know what taxes are i don't know what to do so like i'm just gonna keep keep on living my life and like <laughs> spending the money in my bank account cause it's there. So um, I think that's really the, the biggest thing. And like, we're independent contractors as like, we take on marketing deals for our personal brand. So it's not like we're employed by a company and we have W2s of those companies. So like, um, it's definitely an interesting landscape and there has to be more education and more regulation when it comes to like helping kids handle the money that they are now being given because like there's no infrastructure to help us as young, young student athletes handle that kind of money at that age.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're obviously a smart guy. You alluded to all of your different passions when you were a kid. And I know that you also graduated from USC and like, what was it? 24 months after you arrived, like you, you're going to be a lot more on top of it than your typical, um, than your typical college athlete. Like you just isn't aware of these things. So I do, I, I definitely do uh, worry a little bit how these things are going to play out. I mean, even you see like the guy back from Georgia buying a $330,000 like Lamborghini last month. It's like what to me, yeah. I do you not know. understand how there's no one intervening on an, on on someone taking an action like that. As tempting yeah. as it is for a college kid, it's like, guys, there's got to be someone from the athletic department just being like At the very least, this is terrible optics for your teammates and for campus. And anyway, it's kind of a rabbit hole, but it's, it's yeah. kind of more frequently.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to speak
0: on obviously another player. Yeah. I, no,
1: I don't, I'm not asking to, but yeah, I mean, like I, kids are given access to this money and don't necessarily know how to handle it. And like, if kids have like had a poster of a Lamborghini, like in their room growing up and now there's $300,000 in their bank account, like, Shoot! Why wouldn't I go buy a? Right. Like, it, it's unf its an unfair responsibility to put on a young kid without the infrastructure to support him. So I think like you could be like, "Hey, like, oh, these kids are idiots! Like, they're just blowing all their money." But it also could be like, "Hey, like, we need to take a step back and realize why this is happening."
0: Yeah. Still, kids at the end of the day. All right, that's that's a great flyover of NIL. I want to talk a little bit more USC specific. Yeah. Tell people, everyone has wondered what it's like to be a quarterback, the quarterback of USC walking around campus. How are you received on campus? Have you seen a huge uptick in people you know, noticing you since your massive breakout game? Just walk us through that. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I think just, just being a student athlete on campus carries a certain amount of responsibility, and obviously being the, the quarterback here carries more responsibility. It just is, comes with a job title, and if that makes you uncomfortable, then you should probably look to a different – profession, but um, <laughs> I think all that stuff is nice, and it's supportive, but at the end of the day, like, it's it's not the most important thing. Like, it, it's nice to be able to share, like, experiences with my classmates where they're like, hey, like, like, um, so, like, so happy for you. Like, I saw the game or whatever it was, and that's, that support is nice to feel. And, like, people coming up with you on campus and stuff like that is always, it's always positive, and, and those people are great, and, like, obviously, we're super grateful for our fans and stuff like that, but I think at the end of the day, like, that stuff is not what's important. Like you have to kind of put that and be like, okay, like these people are nice. They're fans. They care about the program. But like at the end of the day, like it means very little because if you go out and throw five picks, that they won't make <laughs> so like um So, yeah, I think it, I mean, same as the NIL stuff, like just keep the main thing the main thing. Totally.
0: Always, always nice to feel support, obviously. So having graduated so early – are you in a graduate program? What are your classes even like?
1: I am. I am in a graduate program. And I'm in the entrepreneurship uh, master's within uh, Marshall School of Business, which which I love. It's mostly night classes, which has been like a, an interesting switch up for me. Um, but I like it. I mean, I, I have a couple teammates in the program, a couple good friends. So um, it's been a super positive experience so far.
0: That's cool. And, and I know we talked about it before we started recording. You're in a fraternity, you're in Sigma Chi. A bunch of my yeah. buddies were in that back in the day. I've been to that fraternity house a handful of times. Very yeah, yeah. fun place. I feel like that's got to be a good source of balance, actually, where you're not surrounded just by your teammates in the locker room all the time. Is that kind of what you were yeah. seeking when, when joining Greek Life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I talked about earlier
1: about how relationships are really important to me in the place that I exist. And, like, obviously, we have a super strong sense of community within, within the team. But at the end of the day, like going to USC is about more than being a football player. And I think that gives me community outside of the team and outside of the locker room. That's really important. And like you said, brings
0: balance into my life in a positive way. I talked to Ian Book from Notre Dame in the third episode of Under the Number. And he was talking about, obviously, Notre Dame is arguably the most storied program in college football history. USC is certainly up there. Yeah. And he said, I was asking him, what, what is kind of the it factor or the the aura that comes with Notre Dame? And he said, there's no other way to describe it than it's just the ingrained tradition that there is on that campus, that there is in the program. And as a result of that tradition, part of it, older players are coming back all the time. He's saying Jerome Bettis, Brady Quinn, all these guys, they come back to the program, they pour into the younger players. I would assume that there's a similar situation at SC. Are there guys that are constantly coming back and and hanging out? Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: I mean, me and, me and Matt Leonard have had a relationship for a number of years. Um, he's awesome. I mean, I got to, I've spoken with Barkley a good amount. Me and Mark Sanchez have recently become closer. I think he's, he's a great guy to kind of talk to And There's always guys coming back and talking to him. Obviously Taylor Mates is a part of our staff. Um, which is awesome. We had Anthony Munoz come back. Oh, I want to say he's come back twice. Ronnie Lott's come and spoken to us. So there's there's a ton of guys that obviously really really care about the program and what that means. Um, and it's awesome to you know kind of kind of carry that weight forward. I mean, these are guys who have changed the, the university, have changed the game as a whole, and a lot that have cold jackets, obviously. So um, it's really
0: special to be a part of and kind of carry that torch forward. Talk about Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury. It's a pretty amazing coaching duo to have at your disposal.
1: Two very different guys. So, like, if you think about, like, we're in high school, like, Cliff's, like, the guy that gets all the girls and is the guy that you want to sit with at lunch.
0: So we've heard. So we've all heard. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But behind the scenes is really smart and, like, does well in school. And me and Cliff had built such a great relationship in the year that we worked together. I'll always root for that dude, no matter what. Um, such a special human being, such a great coach, such a great mentor, and someone that I'll always be be really, really thankful for. Um, also a Sigma Chi, by the way. Which you got. Know, yeah. um, Brotherhood. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Coach Riley, like, it's rare to find a, a coach – that you can relate to on a personal level, like the, like the way I see coach Riley approach his business, the way he looks at the game of football, the way he looks at doing his job for other people is the way that I aspire to do so. And I think being around someone, obviously like when it comes to dialing it up, like no one does it like him. And it gives me a ton of confidence to play within the system and not push and make unnecessary mistakes because I have 100% confidence that as long as I play within what he calls and what we've talked about my shots will come and things will open up so I think like as a quarterback having that confidence that your coordinator is going to set you up for success is invaluable um, and I think just beyond that the person he is what he takes on for this program like very few people understand how much he does for the program um, and I'm just super super grateful for him not only as a as a coach and a coordinator, which obviously he's great at, which everyone knows, but but as a person, and as a leader, um, as a mentor, like in these last few years of my life.
0: Totally. So now just to bring us back to where we started, at the beginning of the, of the episode, talking about the holiday bowl and your incredible performance, It, it was clearly a product. You know, you said you had gotten some playing time. You hadn't gotten a start yet, but you had gotten some action, some game action. Um, what is it if you if you had to put it into your own words? What is it that you think differentiates your preparation? Where do you stand out in the way that you prepare for a game?
1: I think just pure amount of preparation. Like, like I, I told myself like, there's no way the middle linebacker from Louisville is going to watch more tape on us than we watch on them. Like, that it's just not going to happen. So, like, no matter how hard he prepares, I'm going to prepare harder. And, like, whether or not that works out or not, like, I'm giving myself the best chance to be successful. And that's all you can really do in that situation. So, um, I mean, I'm not going to – I don't want to give away too many specifics on <laughs> – <laughs> Fair like, enough. Like, I think just just spending hours upon hours in that, in that room, watching formation cut-ups, watching third downs, watching two-minute, like – when you, because I mean, as you know, like you've you've been in in a college quarterback room, like playing playing the game at that level is not just like reading out a progression. It's like okay, it's second and eight in plus territory. They, tend I mean, obviously teams will have wrinkles for us, and like you have to be able to adjust on the fly. And I think Coach Riley's really good at that. But like you have to be like okay, like like I said, like it's second and eight on the plus forty going in. Like they love to bring pressure once once you cross the fifty, like we have to be aware like they're gonna run, they're gonna be an even, and they like to bring both edges in this situation, so if we get this look, that's what's coming, and like that's that goes so much more like beyond being to see a guy and throw it to him, so I think like that's really my my favorite part of the game and and what I love to kinda kind of pick up when i when I watch film and
0: stuff, yeah, it's really very impressive to have that mindset after how much time you had spent waiting and sitting. I mean, that's, that's a lot of, seriously, I mean, that's a lot of like, all right, another day of paying full attention in my meeting and studying the film and, you know, knowing every check, every protection and probably not playing realistically. Like, you know, at a certain point, you're honest with yourself, you know, the depth chart, you know, the dynamics. What? Was it, obviously you are just a gamer and a competitor that shows through in your game and even just talking to you. So that's, that's a given, but what did you kind of do, even just talking to yourself and and kind of reminding yourself to keep your head down and to keep at it through those years of basically going to practice, doing the homework associated with practice, go to practice, do the homework before finally getting that chance to to shine, you know, just two months ago. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a couple of things. The first thing being, like, I wasn't ever third. So,
1: I was always right behind Caleb. So, I was never, like, I mean, because, like, obviously, like, football's a dangerous game. And I was never, it was never going to be, I got an opportunity. But I was sleep I at the wheel
0: in meetings. I wasn't,
1: I wasn't prepared for it. Like, I was never going to allow that to happen. Yeah. And, like, I said, whenever I get my opportunity, I'm going to take full advantage of it. So, that's what really drove me to prepare. And like, maybe that's selfish. Like I'm saying, I'm going to be ready no matter what, but like I, that fear quote unquote of being unprepared, given my opportunity is what really drove me during that time. Um and then more often than not, I didn't play a snap. and <laughs> I'd come in on Sunday, ready to lift and pissed off that I didn't play and go attack the next week. And like, just staying present in those weeks, staying present in those practices, because like if you're not playing those Tuesday and Wednesday practices, those are your competitive periods for the day. So that that becomes your game, quote unquote. So like those are all the more important when you're not playing. Um, so I think those two things, like really, really, really investing, so that you're never unprepared if your opportunities to come, and then like attacking the preparation the next week. Like here we go again, another opportunity. Maybe I'll play, maybe I won't, but like. I'm gonna be
0: ready no matter what. Yeah. So on the preparation front, going into or being in the midst of this off season, uh, without giving away any trade secrets, where yeah, are yeah. the places that you're really doubling down and and focusing on in in your own game this off season?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the the best way to answer that is just everything. Um, you can always be bigger. You can always be faster. You can always get stronger. Um, you can always throw it better. Uh, you can always have more knowledge of the system, more knowledge of protection. Um, one thing I've really kind of honed in on is um, just how the centers call our run game. I think, like, I have, a, I have a pretty decent knowledge of protection, but I think that's a, that's a great place for me to take the next step. So, just trying to get better in all phases and obviously continue to grow as a leader for our team.
0: Who's the QB that you tried to model your game after the most?
1: I mean, the, the guys I watched the or Stafford and Burrow. I think Stafford Stafford throws it so well and is so talented as a as a quarterback. Like it's it's almost like watching Rodgers sometimes where it's like Orma Holmes where it's just like this isn't helpful because they can get rid of stuff that like normal people can't do. Right. Um, but I think just the way he approaches the game, the way he he plays it, the way he avoids sacks, um not taking negative plays is, is really unique. And then Joe Burrow's been a an idol of mine, someone I've looked up to for for a long time. And I, similar to Stafford, I just I love the way he plays the game. I think he plays the game the right way. Um, it kind of goes about a, it goes about his business the right way as well. So those are definitely two guys I, I really look up to.
0: Yeah, I feel like your mobility level is probably more on par with Burrow. <laughs> I think you you know you nah, can scramble know. around. You can scramble around. Pretty damn well. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I would hope so. <laughs> but... Yeah, Stafford's not. Stafford doesn't have a whole lot of, not exactly a dual threat. He's, he's older now, though, so we'll cut him some slack. Yeah, fair enough. So I want to hear, in your own words, you'll be doing this in, what, six or seven months. Yeah. How do you describe the Coliseum on a packed Saturday ahead of a big matchup, I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, that the history
1: that comes with that stadium. I mean, I, I know Ian Book talked about Notre Dame and stuff like that, but like I think it's it's very similar. Like everyone that's that's walked the halls of that stadium, that's been in that locker room, like you you feel that presence when you play on that field, and when you play in a huge game in that field, and that that stadium and that school is is behind you. There's there's nothing like it. It's a super super. I mean, Notre Dame coming to the call saying, like, there's nothing like that. Like. That's the stuff you dream of as a kid. That's why you come to USC to play in games like that. Yeah, um, and obviously with the with the new conference stuff, we'll have more
0: opportunities for for huge games in, in that stadium, which will only be more exciting. Is that how a lot of players are looking at it? Obviously, it's completely out of the players' control, but how, how has the team thought about and discussed this conference realignment? I mean, it hasn't. It hasn't been that much of a discussion.
1: Just, I think guys are excited. Um, just for new matchups. I mean, like, the, the whole Pac-12 network thing was kind of a disaster, like, with our families not being able to watch. And stuff. So I think guys are really more excited for just our families to be able to watch the games and stuff like that. But um, definitely excited for some, for some big matchups. I mean, we get the opportunity to play both the teams that were in the National Championship last year, so that's obviously exciting whenever you can, can go do that. And uh, we have a ton of other great matchups as well, so definitely definitely just a
0: sense kind of excitement among the team. And when it comes to recruiting, how often have you found yourself like hosting recruits? How much do coaches like Coach Riley get the older guys involved to kind of be the ambassador for the program to high school kids who are coming up? Because obviously you got to you got to plan for the future while executing in the present with your current roster. But um, is that something that you've had involvement with?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, especially with the portal, like you're recruiting guys. You're not recruiting guys to develop necessarily through the portal. You're recruiting guys to come play now. So um, that's definitely been a huge part. I mean, like it's it's huge for me because like I want to have relationships with the guys that I'm playing with. I want to know the guys that are coming in. I want to know what they're about, what makes them go. Like different guys need to be led in different ways, obviously. So I think that can only help me get to know, you know, the team and the
0: roster and the best way for us to move forward in a positive way. All right, if in a few words you can describe your game and who you are as a player, teammate, what's the elevator pitch that you give the world for Miller Moss? That's a good question.
1: Um, I don't know. I don't want it to be about Miller Moss. I would say just just about the team first, about what we can do. And if you got any questions, cut the tape
0: on. <laughs> I love it. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. I will be watching closely this year, be rooting for you. Um, that was a lot of fun. So thanks for, thanks for coming on such short notice too. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you.